Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast, episode number 34. In this episode, we are talking about how to beat any opponent's jiu-jitsu game. Any and every. All. Yep. This is your one-stop shop for becoming a world champion. Let's get straight into it. Go uh, on, no, before, <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. So um, John Danaher uh, <laughs> is joining us today to give us all the tips and tricks but in a short eight-hour episode. Yeah, well, <laughs> with John Danaher's uh, dulcet tones. But if you didn't listen to the previous episode, definitely go back and check it out. It's uh, probably one of my – I say this – all the time, but it's one of my favorites we've done so far, episode number 33. And that episode was about uh, how to get promoted or why you're not being, why promoted. You're not being promoted. Yeah, so from from white to blue, all the way up to, to, to black belt. And from Adam's perspective, what he looks out for, his requirements, his standards and things. I, I mean, I took a lot away from it, obviously because Adam's my coach, but I think there's a lot of information out there and a lot of really solid advice out there for, for anyone who, who is serious about being promoted. Yeah, and on, on promotion, we've got uh, – I mean, I don't want to s- use the word grading. You're going to have to. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. <laughs> it's a one-off grading. Yeah, because I don't – Special event. Yeah, a special event, yeah, let's call it that, because I don't really do grading events at the gym. Mm. Uh, and that's because I grade students individually. Yeah. So to hold an, you know, if most gyms have one or two gradings a year. Mm. So then if I grade students individually, what if someone's ready to grade and, you know, then they've got to wait six months or, and then they miss that grading event because they have to work or something. And maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe they're yeah. a doctor. So it's not as simple as changing a shift. Right. Exactly. And then they got to wait another six months. No. Right. I do it individually sometimes it turns into a grading event because you might have it just syncs up where you've got quite a few people about to change belts at a similar time but for us as well it's also our end of year get together it's also a get together and just to see everyone post lockdown and thank everyone for the support they they provided for the team during lockdown uh yeah so we do have a quote grading Mm. coming up who do you think is yeah, potentially so off change, air, changing the color of belts, Kieran? Off air, I said that there is one person at the gym that – I mean, I'm sure there's more and I'm, I don't know because this will come out before the grading. I don't know who's getting what or whatever. But there is one individual that I think is in, in my very humble white belt, newbie, shit kicker opinion that they're they're ready in, in my opinion. I, I see them as a high belt already in – in that view. Right? Have you taken into consideration everything I mentioned in the last episode? I have. And that's sort of it. Yeah. I'm still like, not sure. I'm a bit, I'm a bit like up in the air about it based on everything that you've said. I'm, I think maybe I'm wrong, but Hey, fuck it. I'm going to go out on air and on record and say, I think that there's a blue belt at our gym. Um, Terrence, I think that he, I think, dog, yeah, eh? I reckon he's he's ready for a purple belt, in my opinion. And that's a shout out to Terrence. I think that particularly based on the depth of knowledge he has, not only like, and this, this is a little bit of a um, fanboy right now, not, not only like the, the depth of knowledge that he has, but whenever you're teaching a technique, he often, we drill that technique and then he's able to, to then teach me a quick follow-up technique to that or like to, to add, add value to it, to add on top of it because he understands the concept and he's able to, add more and as you're saying about the in-depth knowledge that you expect from you know uh blue belt to purple belt i think he ticks those boxes um yeah that's that's it i wasn't expecting you to say terence i thought you would have had like you know because we've got a lot of four strap white belts at the gym oh yeah yeah i wasn't going to touch white belts all like, right yeah, I, I was they're just thinking you, they're gross no i wasn't i wasn't even going to go anywhere near white belt there is there is some white belts that i'm you know having the back of my mind that like yeah definitely could see them being who blue would belts you for sure. like if you had to pick from you know you've been at the gym a while and obviously you're a four stripe white belt so you can mm. again like we said in the last episode you're you want to compete and everything. Mm-hmm. So you fall into a more, uh, a higher standard category, yeah, yeah. right? So it's a little bit different, but just using yourself as a reference point and other people that you know have, there's white belts in the gym who have been training longer than you or whatever. Yep. Is there anyone that in particular that you think, ah, oh, man, they should probably have a blue belt? Um, 
Depends on like how you're categorizing them. Why well, explain that last step? Oh, you mean is in which okay. individually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. individually. Yeah, because yeah, that's conversations. I, I yeah, I don't really them. know their you know if they're you know taking competition seriously yeah, or if they're yeah. like you if I don't know if someone you're categorizing in the competition lane or if you're categorizing them in the in the um you know uh, hobbyist hobbyist hobbyist. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Um, so yeah, in terms of white belts, I'd say in in hobbyists, if I'm categorizing all of them as hobbyists, I'd say Toby is is pretty advanced for yeah. a, a white belt um and i mean samir is very good samir's a brown belt in judo but i think he would be competitive so maybe mm. not but yeah like as a hobbyist definitely like blue belt um for sure for sure um yeah and a bunch think, of others so many four strap white belts it's hard to remember and i mean nah, none, i don't i don't categorize any of the others being ready <laughs> and it's like what, genuinely <laughs> like no offense oh, <laughs> i'm like well maybe they are maybe I, i'm not seeing it and I'll, or like whatever it's gonna be awkward when people come into the gym and everyone's like kieran you and me yeah fuck next it, bring role. it bring it like i'm not scared of any of the four strap white belts. it's also hard to no, gauge because <laughs> i'll be careful what i say on this shit yeah, it's also hard to gauge right because for us over the last 18 months going in and out of lockdown like some people will feel like man i've been a white belt for like two years and it's like yeah, yeah. but for nine months of those you didn't train yeah not because you didn't want to but because the gym was closed well i had and, a look you know, at after editing and putting some clips together on episode 27, I think it was where we, we broke down, like, you know, I was basically saying how I like came up with a formula or like telling people to come up with formulas to, to determine when they're getting their stripes or something like that. Mm-hmm. I went back um, last night and had a look at how many classes that I've, I've attended since grading and since beginning. Can you, can you guess how many classes do you think I've been since graded? Since your fourth stripe. Since my mean- fourth stripe. Well, I mean, it's worth noting as well that I remember when you first said this to me ages ago, you were like, oh, I've done X amount of classes total. And then I went into the system. I was like, no, that's how many classes you've booked. Yes. Yeah, so that's I, not how I many got, classes you've done. I like, got because the, we've got a booking because of COVID re- yeah. requirements, the gym doesn't operate just as a come and go, right? Yeah. It's, we've got a online booking system. And in my and defense, for, in my defense, I missed a shitload of classes because of work. Yeah, previously. yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't. I've only missed one class that I booked in and didn't, didn't. Yeah, and I called you out too. It was last Friday. No, Saturday. It was Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, yeah I, was I was like, like a lot of people booked in who didn't show up of, and you were like, put your hand up. Like yeah. Emoji, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't fucking come. <laughs> so how, how many since your fourth stripe? Got, yeah. Well, you got your fourth stripe before lockdown. Oh, well before. Well in, before lockdown. Hey, it was in March. Was it? Yeah. Oh, shit, and lockdown was, <laughs> lockdown was July? June or July? June. June, June. Dude. Oh, I don't know, a hundred? Yeah, pretty much bang on. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, like yeah. 96. Yeah. Yep. Shit. Yeah. Dude, only another hundred to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done like 230, 40 or yeah. so odd. And yeah. then 96-ish of those have been since- Look at you go, bro. Since promotion. <laughs> I'm fucking proud of that. I said to you that by the end of this year, I wanted over 365 attended classes on the on your software. That was my goal. So what are you at total now? Like 240-ish. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to make it because yeah, of lockdown. lockdown. I only have one month. I'm well, yeah, fucking, you missed three months. If you had been doing, yeah. you essentially do and almost, I was almost well, like, eight to 10 classes a week, right? Yeah, 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 about 10 average. Or let's say average eight. Like, yeah. or average but like nine, I said whatever. in that other episode, right, uh, a while back, I said that the students them. who do yeah, the students who do the doubles, like who train five thirty class and then six thirty class, such a rot. On the system, it <laughs> counts as two classes. But I, I see that push as back one on training I've think, session. I've been thinking a lot about. Nah, that. fuck off. I want to nah. push back. The reason is because if if that's the case, and if I wanted to game the system, I would show up to the lunch class and then just do the six thirty. Do it. Why not? Because I don't think the training would be not as good. Because that's not necessarily true. But I don't think. I think it would be. Equal. I see them as equal. But you get time to recover between those classes. You don't think then you could put more into the 630 because you've had six and a half, well, five and a half hours by the time the end of the class. You've gone, you've got to rest, you've got to eat, you've got to hydrate. You know? Fuck, you're making good points. I'm like, right. I'm like, for those that aren't seeing the the video version of this, I'm like pondering out. This is like, hang on, do I need to reformulate my fucking training plan for this? That's actually a good idea. Maybe I should try that. Well, I don't know, like the example I gave last time was like lifting, right? There's a difference mm. between you doing an hour workout at 12 
and then another hour and a half at 6.30 or just doing Fuck. one workout that went from 5.30 to 8 o'clock at Because night. I must say that the doubles, like particularly now when I'm – like the volume I'm doing is insane at the moment. Like in my in – my Does the double not feel like one long workout? No, it feels like two. It feels tough. Like the – Depends on how I treat the first one. At the moment, I've been fucking going hard. I've been yeah. I've been ramping my shit up. I've been training hard. I've been rolling hard. Unless it's with like someone that's like, oh, that's their day one, and I'm like, you know, letting them work and whatever. Normally, regardless of who it is, I'm fucking I'm putting the smash on at the moment, um, or trying to. Um, so yeah, it's tough. And at the end of it, I'm fucking shagging. So you, I've been bringing if, electrolytes. I've been having protein between. I've been doing all these you're other tactics. Rolling the boat. I'm about to buy the <laughs> amount of Gatorade you're drinking from the gym. <laughs> yeah, but if you're doing but you know, if, you're making a good point. If you're doing, let's say, the 12 o'clock class and then the 6.30, mm. right, opposed to doing the 5.30, then the 6.30, the last roll of the night, right, mm. let's say you do the 5.30 and the 6.30, and the last roll of the night, that roll that happens at whatever, quarter to eight at night or something, would that equal, if you've done the 5.30 to 6.30, sorry, sorry, if you've done the class, the 5.30 and the 6.30, yeah. Will your last roll of the night be like, will your output be as good as it would be if you did the 12 o'clock, then had time to rest and recover and then no, came back no, and did the six? It, of it course couldn't, it not, couldn't right? be. Because you've done an right. extra hour, like instantly in front, like you've done the one long work. You're teaching the lunch today? Yeah. Fuck it. We're Here on. We go. All right. <laughs> Look at this, like 10 minutes of, of me like planning out my fucking training schedule. <laughs> right? so Sometimes when, I forget we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> so when I trained in Brazil, I would train the – I mean, I've said this so many times, I don't need to go into my schedule, but I would train at 7 in the morning and then our competition class was a you, lunch you class. You do a, like so I have drilling as well. Yeah, and, and yeah. I do drilling and mm. other, other training, but essentially I would have a few hours between those two sessions to, to rest and, you found and, that it was, to rest and recover. Did you have the double in the evening? Was that on your schedule? It was like three classes back-to-back oh, in the shit. evening, but I wouldn't do them. So, right. so then when my work changed – and I stopped training in the morning class. I would do the competition class at lunch and then I would go back for the – the. there were multiple classes in the evening but I would just do the one, in this case, our 6.30, which there started at 8 o'clock at night, right? I would do the competition class at lunch and then I would go home or go to work and just – even if I was still – if I was at work, right, at least I'm not doing jiu-jitsu. So to right. some degree I'm recovering. And then I would go back and do the 8 o'clock class. Right. The only time I wouldn't do it like that is if I work got in the way and I couldn't train in the morning and I couldn't train at lunch, then I would do the evening and to do make like, up for yeah, it. and do two classes back to back. Right. But it was only, I mean, I had my, my work structured in a way that if I ever went for a job interview, I said, I can't work in the middle of the day because like competition training was my focus. Yeah, right? that makes So sense. I, I trained at lunchtime every day, right? Right. So do you teach the same technique at lunch that you do at the 5.30 or similar? No, not necessarily. Well, I mean, today, no, because the lunch class is no gear. Oh, well, the 5.30 is no gear as well today. Yeah. But all these people listening are like, like I don't fuck fucking care. Yeah, get right. onto the fucking, um, how do I beat my opponent? Like, yes what the hell? And, well, yes and no. But last episode you said that like uh, you need to see me teach a technique a few times before oh, you yeah, So, absolutely. I mean, even if it is the same technique, doesn't I mean, matter. doesn't matter, bro. Look, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I might change my schedule. Look at you go, man. Look at you go. Hmm. All right, I'll, I'll trial it today because I'm, I'm feeling wrecked today. I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I, I was am. like, I was, I was thinking about phoning it in. Obviously, I'm not going to. You well, know you that little now. No, fuck no. You know that little like in a bitch voice. They're like, oh, just don't train today. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was like that was chirping away this morning when yeah. I like fucking decrepitly stumbled out of bed and fucking try to unroll my body. Yeah, and I think you can also treat it like this. Like if you're training at lunch, right, which isn't a competition class. You could go like, okay, cool. It's a one-hour class. There's not as many roles. I can mm. take it a bit lighter and I can focus on this and that. Like yep. almost treat it more of like a theory class, if yeah. you will. And then, the and then you get time to recover. And then you go to the 6.30. You haven't done – you haven't been working out since 5.30 this time because yeah. you didn't do the 5.30 class. And then you just rock up to the 6.30 and you're fucking ready to go, bro. I'm going to trial that today and probably tomorrow. I'm going to trial it the rest of the week. How about that? S sounds good. Anyway, bro. how sounds do I – how the fuck do I beat someone's game? So you do the 12 o'clock class. And then <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So there's uh, – I'm going to talk a little bit about some more concepts. The word concepts gets thrown around 
all the time in jujitsu, like core concepts, concepts this and principles that, blah, 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 and uh, mm. whatever. But I, I would I need to find a better word. But for the moment, we'll stick with concepts. I think if you look at the current best performing competitors, right, a lot of them are very young, right? And, of course, what allows them to compete at such a high high level and beat other high level guys. Yeah. Part of it is their age, you know, like let's look at the, the Hudalo brothers from Atos. Right. I don't even know how old they are, but they're super fucking uh, young. Like 19. Yeah. 20? And like, you know, you've got, um, Colabati, Colabati, right. Who's 15. Yeah. You know? Like, God, so obviously part of it is their, their age. Yeah. So they have a, a slight advantage depending on the age of their opponent. But, you know, you look at, how well they're doing and let's say they're fighting like a 30 year old who's mm. by no means over the hill mm-hmm. but that 17 year old 18 year old they haven't been on the planet for long enough to have learnt the same number of techniques as that older guy has yet how do they still beat them okay and i think it's all i, I believe it's built on this deep like understanding of certain concepts and principles of certain positions and then from that deep understanding it's almost like they don't need that many techniques it's like understanding the concept alone yes you do still need to learn specific techniques but it's built on that understanding so i'll give some examples so please so it makes a little bit more sense right so let's say probably the most like a really well-known one is when you talk about leg entanglements and leg locks and controlling the knee line is what they talk about. And what they mean is if I need, if I'm wanting to heel hook you, I need to have control of your knee. If you free your knee as in like, I start to slide down more towards your shin and I'm not up above your knee, near your thigh and hips, I essentially don't have the heel hook, right? So that doesn't mean all I need to learn is how to control the knee line and I will heel hook people. No, I still need to learn how to do a heel hook, how to dig the heel, you know, and all these other techniques. But I don't need to learn like a million of them. If I have this deep rooted understanding of controlling the knee line, it's just then operating in that zone is going to grant me more opportunities. Another way I really think about it is – here in Australia, like we rugby league is a massive sport and I despise it, but I'll use it as an example. Or let's say football is in soccer or whatever. If I can, or, or any sort of like field or court sport, soccer, football, basketball, whatever, right? Let's imagine if I can just have the game where there's my half of the court that I'm trying to defend and your half of the court, you know, right, where the goal or the net is or whatever. If for the entire game I can keep the ball in your half of the court, like just more opportunities will present themselves for me to score, right? So these like concepts of certain positions are kind of like that, right? So when I speak to you about your pressure passing and again, I use the term knee line and I say to you the style of passing that you're trying to develop, I say, Kieran, if you can operate in between your opponents like hip and knee, so you're in that thigh area, just being able to stay there is kind of like being able to keep the ball in their half of the court or their half of the field. So they're defending, yeah. More opportunities will present themselves for you to pass. Right? There will be more goal-scoring opportunities because the ball is in their half, right? So I think these, these younger guys are really embracing this because it's – I'm not going to say it's a shortcut. A shortcut implies that they're, they're trying Putting to like – work or something. Yeah, yeah, that's not the case, but it's just more efficient. Yes, they're still learning specific techniques, but it's built off that. Mm-hmm. And then that, that deep – that, that ability and understanding of keeping the, the ball in that half of the court is just presenting them so many more opportunities to pass or sweep or whatever, right? Yeah, again, leg locks. If you can control the knee line and understanding that, you know, more heel hooks are going to become available to you. And then from those multiple opportunities that, that present themselves, that's when you need to 
have learnt the specific techniques to apply it and things like that. Um, so obviously we're talking more from a competitive point of view because we're talking how to beat each and every opponent. So we're talking really more about the competition side of jiu-jitsu. We're not talking about like self-defense techniques and blah, blah, blah. But does, does that make some sense? Yeah, so it's understanding concepts, right? We're talking about understanding, uh, basically taking your game, being a specialist in that area, having a very solid understanding, not necessarily of every individual like little hand position, every individual uh, technique, if this, then that scenario, but more understanding broader concepts that you can apply to those scenarios, right? Yeah, because I think previously, I'm not saying you still, there's no value in teaching or learning techniques in a very methodical step-by-step way, but previously it was kind of only taught like that. It was very, you needed to know like, the exact move and the step-by-steps to those moves to counter whatever your opponent's doing. But I think it's better to kind of move away from that and just kind of understand like, no, like instead of needing to know the exact one and only technique that answers that question, it's better if you just understand that like, well, as long as I can counteract that, I mean, hang on, let me give you another analogy, right? God, I love me some analogies. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the sole reason we lose so many listeners. Yeah. Like, Fuck this dude. Yeah, analogies. I have a look at the analytics and the point an analogy starts, the drop-off is insane. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it like this, right? Uh, I'm not a chef at all, right? But I understand a little bit about cooking and I think anyone who knows a little bit about taste and cooking or whatever, you know, it's very – it's pretty common knowledge that food and food that tastes good has a balance of like saltiness and sweetness and what's that word? Um, umami. Umami and, you know, bitterness. And there's all these like senses that we taste, right? And it's a balance of that. Like if something's too bitter or something's too sweet, like it doesn't taste good, right? It's that balance. And um, I remember if anyone like used to watch uh, – did it happen on? I think it was on like MasterChef. Remember MasterChef, right? Which I think is still on, right? Yeah, I, memory. I don't watch it, but yeah. But, but you're familiar. Yeah, they it's used a cooking ha- show. Yeah, they used to have a challenge, or maybe they still do. I haven't watched it for bloody years. But they used to have a challenge where I think it was on MasterChef. God. But anyway, the cooking show. <laughs> and they had a challenge where they would essentially be given a dish that like tasted bad. Not bad, but was just bad. Like let's say a spaghetti bolognese or like the sauce for a pasta sauce or something. And it's just like, it's just nothing. Like it's just this, you know, it's not like it's had rotten eggs put in it, but it just doesn't taste good. And it's like the challenge is to fix that dish. Like take something that's actually already been made and to make it actually into something that tastes really good. Cool. And I think the 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 concept, it's kind of like the difference between me saying, um, you know, let's say we're trying to fix a dish that doesn't taste well instead of me saying to you like, oh man, you need to put like a little bit of, of put a squeeze of lime in it. It's yeah, kind of like right, me saying, right. no, you need to add a bit of sourness. Right. You know, so yes. understanding like- so Instead of like five, it needs five mils of lime. It needs two grams of salt. You would be like, oh, it needs some- uh, Yeah, it needs, man, you, yeah, it needs some- yeah, Salt. Some, yeah, or it instead of some. me saying like, man- Chuck a squeeze of honey in there. Me yeah. saying, man, it needs a bit of sweetness. Like it's do, missing sweetness. Do with that what you will that achieves that right? outcome. There's multiple mm. ways you could add sweetness. That makes okay? sense. So like you could put pineapple on pizza to make yeah, it. Yeah, fuck oath you can. You can. <laughs> oh, yes. but can I? Sorry. I'm just going to derail a little bit, right? Because that's just reminded me I have to read this. Are we quote. not already derailed? <laughs> uh, wait, what are we talking about again? <laughs> I've got to read this quote. So, um, so this we, is from Oleg, right? Yeah. So episode 28 was the nutrition yes. episode. Look at you go. Yep. <laughs> and we, you know, ended the episode with me me asking, you know, whether you can put pineapple, what thoughts on pineapple on pizza. Mm. And then out of, not out of nowhere, but obviously after listening to the episode with no, no, no context or anything doesn't mm. say like, Hey, I just listened to the episode just sends me this from Oleg, one of our students. He wrote quote, 
Pineapple on pizza haters are antisocial sheeple that graze on the physical manifestation of their own farts and can't think for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so Olic is clearly passionate about pineapple on pizza. Yeah, we've started like a – I don't think there's been many anti-pineapple on pizza people at the gym since we've started posing that question and I think they're afraid. Well, I, I mean, I, to admit it. it was someone the other day in the gym, it was a white belt who, a four stripe white belt. And I don't Ooh. know, I don't know what came up and he was like, yeah, pineapple on pizza is good. And I'm like, that's the right answer, Josh. Yeah. There's someone with four stripes on their white belt. Yeah, 100%. Correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> well done to you, sir. But, but yeah, that, uh, that fun, you know, so then I don't need you to memorize every single ingredient mm-hmm. possible and which ingredient is applicable to which type of dish, you know, to, to, to make it, to add that sweetness, mm. right? Uh, you know, yeah, you need to know some of those ingredients, but you don't need to know all of them. Yeah, exactly. Because some of them, like I could use honey to add sweetness to a dessert as well as a savory food, right? Like yes. honey, soy chicken or whatever, like it goes mm. in both, you know, so you don't need to know everything. And I th- believe previously jujitsu was kind of taught and digested that way. It was a bit more very kind of like, this is the move. This is linear. Like A then B, B then C, C back to A, repeat and and things like that. But now what you're saying is if you understand the concepts, you can put all of these scenarios into buckets, right? You can deal one thing or a group of things deals with uh, a larger amount of techniques rather than understanding if they put their hand here, you must put your hand there. Yeah, exactly. So right? that makes and it th- a lot more efficient and easier to learn and get really good yeah, at. Yeah, and then you can spend more time drilling fewer techniques. You know, the the famous Bruce Lee quote, fear mm. the man who not man who trains a hundred, yeah, a thousand kicks, fear the man who knows one kick a thousand times or whatever it yeah. is, right? Um, so I, I really believe that's why these guys are getting so good because then they're, they've just got these core understandings. And of course, certain positions, you can get under that blanket word of concepts and principles, you can still get super complicated, you know. That's not always going to be something as simple as like, oh, leg locks, knee line. It's not always like that, you know, because I could use the same thing about, you know, guard retention I could talk about, you know, don't let them pass your knee line is another, I use knee line as well when I talk about guard retention, but then there's times they clear your knee line, but you got control of their knee line or their armpit and it, you know, so it can get really complicated, but yeah, moving away from this, like you said, A equals B and then this, like that linear fashion. So then how do you beat each opponent, right? Not each opponent, every opponent, Kieran. How do you beat every opponent? The question. The best guys that I've ever trained with and competed against in the world, the thing that they are masters at and better at than the techniques they do themselves is the ability for them to keep the fight where those techniques are possible, right? So let's look at leg lockers, right? Sometimes it's not even the fact that they're absurdly good at leg locks. Of course they are, but it's almost like, well, they're even better at keeping the fight in a leg entanglement. You know, uh, Levi, I used to train a lot with Levi Jones Leary, known as like one of the best lightweights in the world. Although I think he just fought on who's number one at middleweight mm. actually. So, uh, but anyway. And one. And one, yeah. And one of the best, has one of the best bearing bolos in the world. We trained together from like purple belt. And yeah, his ability to keep the fight in a position where he can do a bolo from is almost what he's better at than the bolo itself. Don't get me wrong. He's absurdly good at the bearing bolo, but the fact that he can keep the fight somewhere where bearing bolos are possible allows him to also do more bearing bolos, which makes him better at bearing bolos. Right. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Again, another example would be like GSP from the UFC. You know, yeah, sure, you can go on about whether his fights were boring or not, but the fact that he was able to always, if he wanted the fight on the ground, it was on the ground. If he wanted it standing, it was standing. He kept the fight where it was strongest for him and weakest for his opponent. Okay, so constantly controlling the fight in the position that you want it to be in, man, is one of the biggest bits of advice that can that can really help you win more matches right so being a master of control operating in your area of specialty or 
identifying your opponent's area of specialty and operating in the opposite of that or yeah. keeping them out of that. Yeah, so I mean, if you, I always say this to to people competing in just random generic competitions, you don't yep. know who your opponent is or for lower belts that, you know, you're not fighting some dude who already has a name. You don't know who you're fighting. So I say, don't put any energy into thinking about what they're good at or bad mm. at. You just know where you're good. Keep the fight there. And, you know, if you lose, like they got the better of you. You don't know if, okay, my strength is passing half guard. You don't know. Maybe your opponent's strength is half guard. And then his half guard is better at your passing and you get swept and you lose. I mean, you know, That's you, the game. you didn't know that. But obviously at the professional level where you're maybe doing a super fight or even if you're not doing a super fight, you're at Worlds where, you know, you have generic brackets, you know a lot of the people you're going to fight, what they're good at, you know. So then you can have a specific game plan and whether that game plan is, you know, embracing what your opponent's good at mm. because you think you're better at them than them or is it staying out of it, you know. Uh, Lucas Lepre, when he fought Gary Tonin at not the last ADCC, the one before, he beat Gary Tonin and, you know, he just did not have a bar of Gary Tonin's like leg, leg entanglements, right? Just didn't let that shit happen at all. Opposed to going like, oh, yeah, I'll fight, I'll play footsies with Gary Tonin, you know? Uh, so keeping the fight where your strengths are right? Ignoring your opponent's strengths, if you know, just for the average listener and average competitor, man, is going to take you so far. Mm. So, so far. So just to, just to talk on that piece, as everyone's probably aware, I work on a lot of pressure passing. And when I get paired up with someone that their game is triangles, like a blue belt out of Jim Jonas, for example, it generally ends up being pressure pass into triangle, into triangle, escape back to pressure pass, into triangle, <laughs> triangle, escape back to pressure pass, or like submit along those lines. Well, how good, yeah, you got good triangle escapes now, right? Oh, yeah. Dude, yes. <laughs> Not, no, nowhere to lie. Like my triangle escapes have come so far. I got caught in Eric's triangle yesterday. I, I held on I to that motherfucker. I looked over. Did my you nose, not come out bleeding? Yeah, my nose started well, bleeding. Ble- <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, I started like bleeding from yeah, bleeding from my nose just of all the pressure. Worth it. Yeah, so worth it. Like because I was I was safe though. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. There was points where it was fucking tight and I was hanging on, but I was safe because I'm been sitting in so many fucking triangles, yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> I've been yeah. sitting in so many triangles well, for so long. You know, I just sort of lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, yeah, but on that. You know, just to specifically mention what you're working on, like one, there's you're not going to get better at not getting triangled by just not trying to pressure pass. I remember mm-hmm. when I was training with Langy once, and um, and I think we were training no gi. It, do- it doesn't matter whether it was gi or no gi, but I kept trying to come up on a single leg. You know, I was playing guard, and I kept trying to come up on a single leg as my sweep and I got guillotined every time. And I remember in this one role, it was like six guillotines in a row. And then after the role, he was like, he, you know, congratulated me in the sense that he was like, that's it, bro. Like you, you got to keep trying. Like, yeah, we can talk about where your head position should be and stuff, but you know, you could spend eight years studying the theory. Like you've got to practically do it to build that muscle memory and to the intuition of where you're, you know, those little things that you can't get good at without actually doing it. Right. He's like, man, you're not going to all of a sudden like read that magical phrase that you won't get guillotined anymore. Like you have to just, yeah, keep coming up on the single leg and like eventually you're not going to get guillotined. And so it's the same thing with your, your pressure passing and your over-unders. I don't think there's a person in the world that has decided that they want to get good at pressure passing or over-under passing and hasn't gone through that. I get triangled and on the platter all the time. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone that has not gone through that. And some people might choose the route of, man, I don't like this style of passing isn't for me and they might write it off, which can happen. There's more than that. That's not the only way to pass. Yeah. Or there's people who then persist and get to a point where, one, usually the first step is getting really good at escaping triangles, right? But then that then develops into you having this really good intuition of of when a triangle's coming yep. or and, – and you'll start to not get caught in them. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, in your case specifically, we mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago that the next thing I'm wanting you to add is you're giving up that control in your armpit, which mm-hmm. is turning into a triangle or an um the platter. Yep. 
right? So you, cause you're thinking, oh, I've got either both arms in or both arms out, but you've got one arm with your armpit super exposed. So it turns into an ulnar platter. Yeah. But, uh, so that's the next thing I'm still, I'm still working on. Yeah. But yeah, that's the case. Like you could go to compete and the guy might have a game identical to Jonas's and you don't know that. Well, right? I did compete against a guy that had a game identical to Jonas's. And you and ended up in a triangle this for is what a very initi- long time. It right? initiated the whole, let's work on this. Uh, because that's when maybe I was just starting like, day one of looking into pressure passing and I ended up in a, in a triangle for nearly a minute 30. Yeah. And, you know, if, if if you have any doubts about that type of passing, man, just go look at – go watch the years and years and multiple fights of Bernardo Fadia, yep. Andre Galval. Yep. Um, they're in recent history, they would be the two big – biggest names that are well known for their pressure passing. There's a lot. Murillo, Murillo Santana from Unity. Well, this, have this have a look at body those. locks as well. Like body you could locks, even look right? at Craig Jones is doing body like body locks are so meta at the moment in Nogi. So it's a similar similar yeah, style. Ish, right? But look at like I mean those dudes have got hundreds of fights and have a look at them and tell me how many times they've been triangled or umna platted. Yeah. yeah, sometimes, but percentage wise, like 1% of the time, you know, like it's it's a very if you're playing if you're a Odds, man, if you're a betting man, you would bet on the pass, on them not getting caught, right? But that didn't happen overnight. So just to circle back a bit on like how to beat an opponent's game and what techniques to put, you know, stock into. And it was a sort of, this is being triggered by uh, a question that I had the other, yesterday, I believe, but I didn't ask it. How do you know what is high percentage like as in we we well as a as a you know new person to jujitsu as a white belt I hear these you know focus on high percentage like this this is high oh, percentage right. this is low percentage for someone to to make an assessment yourself in in the moment if you will or in general without having to look up actual statistics in competition how do you know what what is what is generally considered to be high There's percentage not, in, in my opinion there's only two ways to come to a conclusion of what's high percentage you've got high percentage techniques that have been proven by multiple competitors in competition right so yeah i mean yeah heel hooks proven to be a high percentage uh leg lock finish or a high percentage submission right uh not only do a lot of fights finish in that submission but it's a submission that once you're in it not many people escape it right so you can define high percentage submissions as something that across the entire jiu-jitsu community, yeah, like as just you see it all the time. Again, like you said, if you don't want to go actually looking at statistics, if you just watch a bunch of jiu-jitsu, you'll notice there's like certain submissions that you see Trends, more often yeah, yeah. than others, right? And that changes over time, also changes from – which guy is currently the best in the world and what are they good at? But then you've got a high percentage that's relevant to you. So, and that's going to depend on what you've developed a knack for. Okay. Let's say for me, you know, my arm bars from close guard, for example, an arm guard from when I'm on the bottom is an incredibly low submission. It was low percentage submission for me personally. It's something that I never felt a knack for. I never really like developed a really good armbar from the bottom, like my armbar from the top, from like mount or side control, I'm super happy with. But from guard, it's a very low percentage submission for me, right? It's just never resonated with me. Whereas a triangle is an incredibly high percentage submission for me because it's always felt really natural and, and whatever. So then, yeah, you've got what is high percentage for you. Which should you focus on more? That depends how much you care, right? If you if your if your sole goal is being the best in the world, I mean, it's a bit silly to ignore what's been proven by other athletes. Right? Just go, okay, well, I want to be the best in the world. Everyone is winning fights by heel hooks and dust chokes. Man, like get good at those, right? If you don't care that much because you you know you don't want to go on to become a world champion, you just enjoy jujitsu. Well, work on what's high percentage for you, what you enjoy. We did an episode talking about keeping jujitsu fun and uh, embracing the grind of jujitsu. It's got to be fun, man. You know, like me as someone who's kind of passed my active competitive part of my jujitsu career. If all of a sudden it was like, man, arm bars, like 99% of fights are finishing in arm bars, I probably wouldn't invest the time in getting better at them. Like I would, you know, 
Maybe I would. I, I understand them and I can teach them to you, but uh, I don't enjoy them. I don't enjoy how they feel. They're not great for me, right? I don't like them. So I wouldn't invest even if they're high percentage. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. What about um, if we're talking chokes versus locks? Oh, that's a no-brainer, bro. Chokes all day. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the, argu- the argument is, you know, the some people are super tough and they'll let you break stuff and they won't tap. Whereas uh, we saw it even as recent as um, – God, I forget, I forget their name. The two girls were fighting in at Worlds, I believe, and this girl let her own arm break. Right? Did she win at least? I th- no, I can't even remember. Wait, God, if your feel, arm's broken, I feel so can't the ref can't the ref stop the fight, dude? I don't know if it's changed recently. Um, it's but yeah, I don't know. I don't think they stopped the fight. A eh? maybe they do nowadays, but they definitely didn't used to. The most famous example is Hodger versus Shackaday, where um, Hodger was down on points in the finals of Worlds. And so he kind of pretty much needed a submission to win. He got Shackaday in an armbar, and Jack, there was only like a minute left or something. And Shackaday was, you know, up on points. He let Hodger break his arm. And then with a broken arm, he could rip his arm out of the armbar. And then with like 20 seconds to go or something, Shackaday just kind of you know, stalled. Yeah. Like kind of just stalled alive. and like, yeah, just made sure no points were scored on him and Jack at a one. Fuck. Right? That. And at the end of the fight, you know, the end of the match or whatever in interviews and stuff, Hodges like, yeah, I might not have the gold medal, but I won his freaking arms broken. Right. Whereas chokes, he's know, got a point. Cause if it, if it was like, look, let's well, look yeah, at, but at the same time, if you look at MMA, like they the, re- the, the refs stop the fight yeah, when yeah. Shit, when when limbs break. Yeah, or you know that's like what the, I'm saying. Like he's got. A point. So it's quite weird because in jujitsu, the ref will stop the fight if the person passes out from a choke, but they won't stop. Well, at least they didn't back then. I don't know about nowadays. I recently did my rules course, mm. but they don't specify that, and I didn't ask the question like, "Do you stop the fight if you see someone's arm or leg break or something?" I think you know? in MMA, a ref can stop the fight if they hear it break. If they see like an arm bending, the like take an arm bar. Yeah, because some people about. have got super hyper yeah. flexible they, joints. Like, and I think um, I think Herb Dean has spoken about this before. If he would stop the fight if he could hear like cracking, like the bone right. cracking and it's breaking at the very right time. Like, obviously, he's widely considered the best referee for MMA in the world. He would stop the fight at that point, and he would be well within his rights to do so. Yeah. So the fact that in the the world at worlds at, in jujitsu, like if that was a white belt, fuck man, and oh, a ref would stop it. For, you would hope. You'd think so. If it's I mean, broken, like fuck me, why would you do if, that? If it's not in the rules that the ref should stop the fight, I think I mean, in my opinion, it should be mm-hmm. because you know there's at the end of the day, people want the sport to be safe, right? Yeah. To some degree. Mm. And the same way a referee can stop a boxing match, even if the guy hasn't been knocked out and the corner hasn't thrown the towel in, if the ref deems this is unsafe for you, this is no longer, it's no longer safe for your health for you to continue. Mm. They call it right. They call it a technical knockout. Right. But the, the point in that very specific example gets his arm broken, 20 seconds left, if he's willing to do that, you know, fuck, that's that's a tough one. Nah, man. Like, I am, like yeah. in my opinion, it should be, you know, like probably should be stopped. I think I think it I think it should be stopped. Yeah, yeah. like you know, like you, yeah. it's gone to a point where it's no longer safe. Yeah, you got to call a pr- president, right? Yeah, I mean, the line's got to be drawn somewhere, yeah. right? And it once it's got the line should be one if the. Any sport that has a referee, you, you're at the ref's discretion, mm-hmm. right? So, of course, there will always be, you know, oh, he stopped it early, he stopped it late. Okay, but that's, you know, that's the nature of having a referee in sports, okay? You've put a, a human element into it. Of course. But the, the line should just be simply if the referee deems that the safety, there's, it's no longer safe for that athlete to continue – like the fight should be stopped, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's not deemed safe because the other athlete has broken a rule, right? You know, hence like in competitions that don't allow knee reaping, the referee stops it and disqualifies, disqualifies that athlete because it's against the rules because it's deemed not safe in that rule set, right? 
So how should that be any different for like an arm breaking? That's a good point. You know, but um, I don't know how we got on to talking about that. How did we get on to talking about that? I can't remember. High percentage. We talk high about percentage. High percentage. Then you talk about arm bars. Then you talk about the example of, of, of I asked chokes versus blocks. Right. You said that's a prime example. You would want yeah. a choke. So yeah, big, strong dude, cut off the blood to the brain, boom, passes out. That's yep. what everyone says, right? Yeah. Uh, so I prefer, I prefer chokes. I, I'm just going to put it out there. I prefer chokes. Yeah, me too. I mean, less in, in my experience, less can go wrong in a choke, I suppose. And I think there's less, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I mean, I'm not a, not a neuroscientist, but yeah, I, it's, it's by no means healthy to cut off blood flow to the brain. Mm. But I think, you know, I think it's shown that it's much easier to inflict long-term or short-term damage to limbs, like to, to, to joint joints, lots yeah. than it is to if someone passes out. Yeah, or, 100%. Or, or, I have to agree. Yeah. I have to agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think as well, just the nature of how chokes work, people are more likely to tap because they, they, you know, not all the time, but they can often feel themselves passing out. So they tap, right? Yeah. Whereas not all the time, right? But that happens a lot. Even at a professional level, you see guys who are tough as nails tap to a choke because they know they're about to pass out. Yeah. Whereas with like their joints, they don't – with adrenaline everything, their pain yeah. threshold is high. Yeah. They don't necessarily know where the breaking point is. And the problem and then is something well, breaks. if someone's like fighting really hard against it, right? Say, again, we'll just use armbar. You're fighting that armbar super hard and you're not letting your grip go and then all of a sudden it you just let it go. Flicks. Yeah, like, and it's like a slingshot, bro. Yeah, and, and boom, yeah. your arm's fucking gone. Yeah. Your arm's broken. Yeah. Whereas it a ch- and, you know, that's going to take a long time to recover from. But with a choke, you know, you could be doing the same thing, fighting, 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 your arm slip, boom, you're out. It's, yeah, it's, it's over. Not, yeah. You know, yeah, as we said, you know, probably not the healthiest thing to get choked out unconscious every day, but we're not talking about every yeah. day. You're going to be able to walk away. You're going to be fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I have to totally agree. I much, much, much prefer to to do the choke and to be choked compared to a, a joint lock every day of the week. Yeah, for sure. So back to, to how to beat any and every opponent. Okay. Mm-hmm. So understanding fundamental concepts and mm-hmm. building off those is a – is a buzzword life hack to get really good at jujitsu real quick. Uh, keep keeping the fight um, in in your in your area of expertise goes a long way. And I think the the last sort of because there's no magic as as clickbaity as the, you want those videos to be. There's no you know use this pass to pass anyone's guard. It's all just bullshit clickbait, right? There's no technique that works all the time kids always do this in like kids class they always think that this one thing should work or some white belts too adult white belts man if one technique worked all the time and had no counters why would you need to learn any other technique you talk about that a lot when you're teaching or talking about escapes from a bad position right like you'll oftentimes you get the objection, oh yeah, but this doesn't work for me. It's like, yeah, well, it's fucking hard. Yeah. It's hard to get out of, of bottom mount, right? So yeah, this this may not work. This may only work like fucking twenty five percent of the time. But it's better than, you know, getting subbed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it takes a lot of energy and effort and skill to work out of a bad position with an equal skilled opponent on top of you. Yeah. Equal weight. So the the last sort of generalized tip right that will help you beat any opponent is understanding the matchup okay and Mm. so we could stretch this out to talk about if you're fighting in the absolute division but we can apply it to also fighting within your same weight division because within your same weight division you could be fighting a guy who is the same weight as you, but he's like shorter and stockier and stronger than you. Or you could be fighting someone who's taller than you and longer than you and they've got big reach and long legs or whatnot. Right? Yeah. Understanding the matchup and how you go into that matchup is super important. Okay. So if I'm, Let's just let's put it in the in an absolute division scenario, just so it kind of we're looking at the extremes makes it a little easier to understand. If I'm going against, let's say, let's say 
Sagi, who's someone at our gym who's smaller than you, okay? I'm bigger than him, taller than him, stronger than him, right? However, Sagi's much, much faster than I am, okay? So when I go into that matchup, I am the big, strong guy in that matchup. I am not the small, agile guy in that matchup. So if I went into that fight going, man, I'm going to be real quick and explosive and agile and do this and that, I'm going to lose that matchup, right? Because he is quicker and faster and more agile than I am. Then if I go against, let's say, uh, you know, a hundred and... 10 or 120 kilo black belt. Andre Galval. Yeah. yeah. Like in, in that matchup, I am by default the small agile guy. Even though at heart, I'm not a small agile guy because I'm a, you know, 95, 100 kilo guy, 6'4". I'm not a small agile guy. I am in that matchup. Because if I go toe to toe trying to be the big, strong, heavy guy, I'm not as big or strong, as heavy as that guy. So you're going to fight in their domain and lose. Exactly, right? So, so I need to understand that in that matchup, I am the, the agile guy. So it's a very simple example is when you look at striking, when you look at boxing, right? You often have the matchup. Again, they're the same weight division because, again, boxing has, has, has weight categories. However, one guy is the short, stocky guy and the other guy is the tall, skinny guy with the reach advantage, You don't have to know a lot about boxing to know what those two opponent's strategies are. The tall guy is going to want to maintain his reach advantage, keep the shorter guy at bay with his jab, right? And the little guy is going to be wanting to get in on the inside. Pocket. Yeah, Yeah, right? I mean, it's a very simple example, but it's a very like that's what the strategy would be. Whereas Mm. let's say that short stockier guy, a lot of the time he is the bigger guy. So his strategy is the reach advantage. If then he goes in, and tries to fight that tall Stefan Struve, John Jones guy with a massive reach and goes, I'm going to keep him at range with my jab. Dude, by the time your jab hits his face, you're in hook territory for John Jones, like, or whoever, right? So you have to adapt it to that matchup. So you can make that call then and there. I do it with Eric, right? A lot of my, yeah, even though he's only a white belt, a lot of the sweeps and techniques I like to do are built on the fact that nine times out of 10, I'm the taller guy than my opponent. Because even in my weight division, I'm what some people would refer to as lanky. So I usually fight shorter, stockier some guys. Some people. Yeah. I usually fight shorter, stockier guys. So a lot of the techniques I like to do are built on the fact that I have a reach advantage but when I fight Eric, that's it's void because he's the same height as me. So a lot, so I have to take a different approach, I've right? Just, because when I, if I have you in my X guard, if I stretch you out, <laughs> in, right, that's enough to make you fall. But I stretch Eric out, like he just takes a he's still step back. Sta- yeah, yeah, right. So I have to approach that matchup differently, and that's a soup. In the beginning, that's hard because when yeah. you're a white belt, you don't have necessarily another game, a backup game, right? Yeah, I don't even necessarily need to. Maybe not a backup game, but you you know different things you need to be aware of. Like there's if I'm let's say I like to pressure pass as well. When I'm pressure passing someone's saggy size, you know there's different concerns I have and different little things I have to be aware of than when I'm pressure passing someone Eric's size who's my size, right? There's less, not less to worry about, but, you know, the things that would concern me against Sagi don't concern me when I'm against Eric because they don't come into play because of his size, right? So understanding the matchup is super important. And I say this to all the guys as well who are, who are rolling against someone who is much heavier than them. So let's say if you're rolling with Carl, Carl's like a hundred-ish or a bit more black belt that trains with us and quite quite strong, mm. strong guy. Like he's a real – someone referred yeah. to him as a Viking, right? Yeah, like he's he looks like one, that yeah. That sort of build. <laughs> like someone like that, you know, or let's say Joe, you yep. know, Joe's, so maybe more applicable. Joe's a, a white belt, four-stripe as well, so more applicable to your level, but yep. ex-rugby player, Stocky, you know, real big. He's lost a lot of muscle me, now. Like very – very large. Yeah. yeah. He's lost a lot of muscle now intentionally. Right. Yep. But he was what, like 110. Yeah. Big muscle rugby player, yep. you know, like you cannot let someone like that settle on you. Like yeah. you're faster than him. You may not feel like you're a fast, agile person, but you are compared to Joe. 
and you just can't let him settle in on you because you won't be able to deal with that weight. Well, that's that's right? actually the selfish and, sort of question I wanted to go down is if I'm when I do roll against Joe because last night I rolled against Joe, I let him settle me. I had a hard time. I had to you know work my ass off to escape him. I remember looking over and being and seeing you uh, in side control yeah. on the bottom, and I was yeah. and I've I'm been fucked. there with Joe. Yeah, and I was like, tough. oh man, and I had to literally <laughs> put all of my energy, create space, and fucking bench press him off like in a very crude sort of way i just got lucky that he lost his balance and i could get out and then restart so for someone like joe normally with the bigger guys i'm i'm aware that i can't normally beat them using my pressure game like yeah i play i play top i play a bit of a heavy game with a dude like joe it's it's in, hard because yeah. not only can he take that weight but he's also like he's for his weight he's quite short so meaning he's got massive like quads and yes. glutes. So even when you try pressure pass him, it's, it's a very heavy leg to yes. lift or he can just kind of like tilt his hips and that's yep. enough to affect your base. Exactly. Right. So you kind of can't take that approach. You're better off to go for an approach of like, I can do a really quick, like Toriando, like a really quick yep. bullfighter pass because mm -hmm. he can't catch me. Right. Right. So Whereas Joe yeah, should okay. be a, should be looking at a matchup with you and going pressure, going like, okay, I need to control Kieran, slow him down, get a hold of him, because mm -hmm. otherwise he's just going to run circles around me. Okay, I need to adjust because with the bigger guys, I've been like, oh, I'll just play guard, and then I think that's well, you can too, but like play guard as in think like, okay, you can play guard, open but work guard. the angles, <laughs> yeah. yeah, open guard, yeah. and then you do a super quick collar drag to his yep. back because he yep. can't catch you, right? The, I often think about that, yeah. like. When it's a real big strong guy against a smaller guy, I often think that's – I think something out of a cartoon. That small guy wants to be like the dude who's on the back of the giant and the giant's like reaching behind him trying to grab this yeah. like dude who's climbing all over him off his back, <laughs> right? That's what I think about. And when I used to train with like some really small guys in Brazil who were already like – black belt world champions. That's how I felt as a bigger yeah. guy. I felt like I was just like, get off of my back and I couldn't <laughs> catch them and I would spin around and they would already be around behind me again. That's funny. You know? So I heard um, as he's a, he's a purple belt uh, coach and he coaches the kids classes at our gym. I, I was half hour early to yesterday's lesson. I was just doing some mobility and I overheard something that he was saying to the kids, like it was a matchup, one, a bigger kid, an older kid versus a smaller kid. And he said to the smaller kid, you know he's bigger and stronger than you. You need to match him with energy. You need to- oh, As he's listening to some of the shit I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Like, and right. I, it, I, that just sunk into my mind. I'm like, oh, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. I'm going to take that. Like, yeah. So he's encouraging the smaller guy. You can win. You just got to match with energy. You got to beat him with your energy yeah. and your speed. Yeah. Um, and it's no different to sometimes like- an entire MMA fighter's strategy for a fight can be outwork him. Once mm. you get to round five, he'll, you know, he'll gas out. a bigger gas tank. Yeah, yeah, and that entire strategy is built on you have a bigger gas tank. I've used that before. Right? Yeah. And imagine if the other dude went like uh, we had – so Jeremy Skinner was on here recently and he was talking about his – up and you, you know, good episode. Go back, listen to that. He was talking about, uh, we spoke a little bit about his up and coming fight. He has a lot of fights coming up, which is, I'm excited to watch. But he has one in particular on the up and coming subversion card in February, I believe mm -hmm. it's been rescheduled for against Talis and Suarez. And, you know, one of the things he said is he's like, Man, like Tallison has got a massive gas tank and incredible cardio, you know. So Jeremy's game plan is not to go in and try to outwork Tallison, but he's going like, okay, well, I need to prepare to make sure I don't gas out in two minutes into the fight. Yeah, but like I need to address that. But my strategy is not to outwork him. Mm. It's to, you know, to control him, to negate his gas tank, make that take that strength away from him. Yeah. Right. And okay, that's a bit of a different situation because he know he you know, they're both professional athletes who know each other and know their games. They can form and a game plan. they can study, yeah. But I mean, you can, to some degree, when you're just training in the gym or training at an open mat or doing a competition where you know nothing about your opponent, you can, you can make, to some degree, uh, judge the book by their cover. I mean, it's not going to be like 100% guaranteed. But, but people, it's a best guess, right? It's I mean, it's got. an educated guess, it's right? part of the game, yeah. Yeah, you know, you yep. don't know who you're fighting. You know, so people would often always look at me with long legs and go, he's got long legs, he's probably a guard player. I don't want to be in his guard. I'm not going to let him pull. I'm going to pull guard first, right? Which, 
you know, is you can't necessarily fault them for that decision. I mean, it's kind of changed. The jiu-jitsu has evolved a lot where, I mean, in my opinion, the best guard players have short legs, right? But mm. previously that wasn't the Would case. Would you consider yourself a guard player? Dude, I mean, I'm just a player in general. No, I, was <laughs> so, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> uh, Me sitting here, had one girlfriend my whole life. <laughs> I was about to no. say, your wife wants to be? Yeah. Probably not. Um, I don't know. Top. Well, I pulled guard at the last subversion. That's right? true, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Bit, uh, Bit of everything. I don't know. I bounce between them, bro. Mm. I, Makes sense. I don't know. I don't, what if what if my future p- opponents are listening to this? I don't <laughs> <give> up, no. <laughs> they should be in preparation for your super fight. They've listened yeah. to like 40 episodes of the yeah, podcast yeah. and like yeah. taking notes Finally, and shit. Finally, yeah. Man, they deserve it. it. <laughs> They've listened to 40 fucking... 40 hours of, of podcast and they deserve, <laughs> they deserve to get an advantage. But that but, makes sense. But yeah, you can, I think you can make to some degree an educated guess, you know, when you're matched up against your opponent, right? Mm. So, you know, I think those three things will take you a long way into, into you becoming really competitive against any opponent, right? Uh, you know, build your techniques off deep understanding of the concepts of, of, the position that you're working in. And of course that can get very complicated and there's more than one position. That's why we love jujitsu, but it's definitely a quicker way to learn and a more efficient way to learn than literally learning every single possible combination and and this and that. Mm. Keep the fight in the area that you're strong, right? Easier said than done, but yeah, I spoke about, you know, Levi always keeping it in a position where he can bolo from, right? And then understanding the matchup and Mm. you might, you know, in that matchup, even though you're, you know, you weigh a buck 50, right? In that particular matchup, you might by default be the big strong guy because you're fighting a dude who's a weight division below you or Mm. who's smaller than you, but your weight, but you're in that matchup, you're big and strong. Mm. Those three things, man, be beating everyone. Mm. Right. And, uh, and practice, man. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, I forgot one more. Assay in Jesus. Yeah, assay in Jesus. Anabolics. <laughs> <laughs> we had a bit of a, bit of a stare off there. But yeah, definitely. I, I like the I like your your example of using like your attributes and weighing up like that as know. well, man. That's sorry to interrupt, Kieran. Like, yeah, but I hate when we've spoken about this before and people mm. are like, instead of saying your jujitsu is good, man, you're so strong. Yeah. Man, your legs are so long. Yeah, they are, but you know. Better. Um, with jujitsu, like I, yeah, got, I people, got that. I people who that. criticize you for being strong. I mean, okay, I get where it comes from because sometimes, you know, there is a stereotype of the strong dude being a spaz. Yeah, but, but the, they're trying know, to tell you you're being a spaz, not that you're being strong. Yeah. They're just picking their words to not like you know offend you or whatever. But yeah, it's yeah. like you know, uh, one of my old training partners as well, Ari, who's uh, got an incredibly good guard, but. Uh, and he's also incredibly flexible, but it's not like you, it's not, he's difficult to pass, not because he's flexible. It's because he, you know, uses his flexibility in combination with his jiu-jitsu. incredible knowledge yeah. of jujitsu yeah, to have a very difficult guard to pass, right? Yeah. Like flexibility alone isn't going to do it's it. It's like strength alone is not going to yeah, do it. Yeah, strength alone is not. Yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning it gets a strength, gets a bad rap because when you're starting from zero, it's like a very, it's a very strong attribute, right? Yeah. Whereas, whereas without jujitsu knowledge, flexibility alone doesn't really necessarily take you very far. Whereas strength can carry you really far on its own. It makes right? sense. But yeah. So I guess that's why in the beginning it gets a bad rap. But we, then we had a brand new guy yesterday that I was rolling with. We're doing specific training um, back, taking the we we started with uh, hooks in seatbelt. And first lesson, you know, didn't really know what else to do. He just defaulted to strength. He just grabbed on and squeezed and held and just on wouldn't for fucking let go, dear life. Right? Yeah, yeah. Dear life. Like I was all so but it, escaped. But whereas he if was he like, was full splits flexible, like, I mean, it's not, what's it helping him in yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where would it ever help? But yeah, like, but obviously when you get to a higher level, man, man you're kidding me if you don't, <laughs> Mikey Musameshi, tiny dude, you're kidding me if you don't, if you think Mikey's weak, he yeah. would be strong as hell. Proportional. It, oh, yeah. Prepare, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So use your attributes. You so when I roll tank, with yeah. Mikey, I might not turn to him and say, man, you're strong. But when someone his weight, who's not a professional athlete, rolls with Mikey, or even someone above Mikey's weight, who's not a professional athlete, I guarantee you they'll be like, this kid is strong, bro. I think in, I think the reason, 
I, I mean, we've we've sort of griped about it before, but I think the reason in some people's minds is why they like finish a role with me, but oh, you you're too strong, or you're just so strong. It's it's a way to justify the the gap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, no matter what I do, even if I'm like a blue belt and you're a white belt, you're gonna win because you're stronger than me. Yeah, I just don't buy it. Bullshit. Yeah, I, I totally don't buy it. And I, yeah. I, I mean, that's been proven by guys that, you know, pound for pound, I'm way stronger than, but obviously they have years on me and they, they tell me up. Yeah. Anyway. All right, guys. So concepts, keep the fight in your area of expertise and understand your matchup. You now have the ticket to beat any and every opponent. Thanks for listening. Money back guarantee.